Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Last week we saw that genuine faith is patient and today we see that genuine faith prays. Genuine faith prays. So let's pause and pray at this point. James 4 says he gives more grace. Father, thank you that you are an overflowing fountain of grace, that you do not run out, that your supply is never short. And we ongoingly need your grace, your mercy, your help, your understanding especially of this passage uh, this morning with so many thoughts that it sets running in our minds already. And so we humble ourselves and ask, please, that you would be our teacher, that you would help me to be careful in what I say, that you would help us all to, uh, to listen, to understand it rightly for ourselves, to take time afterwards to, to check and, and clarify anything that causes us uh, concern or uncertainty. We pray that together we might come to uh, one mind and leave here encouraged. Especially we pray that we might leave here encouraged to pray that whatever else we hear, that by your spirit you would strengthen us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, maybe you know the, the story of um, the army a sergeant uh, in the World War I trenches, and he has with him uh, Private Smith. And uh, the bombs are starting to fall, and the, the, the bullets are whizzing overhead in the trenches. And the sergeant says to Private Smith, Private Smith, pray. And Private Smith says, but sir, I don't know how to pray. I've never prayed. And uh, the army sergeant says, Smith, you need to pray. And he says, but I, I, I was only ever taught one prayer growing up. And he says, well, well, pray it. Pray it now. And so as the bombs are falling and the bullets are whizzing overhead, Private Smith gets down on his knees and he says, for what we're about to receive, may the Lord make us truly grateful. <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> do, you, do you pray? How's prayer? 
going? Do you know how to pray? Do do you have a relationship with the God of the universe as your father where, where you feel you can come to him and you can pray? Can you talk to him at all times about anything? Do you know him to be that sort of God who just delights to hear you when, when you're cheerful or you're sad? He just loves it when you talk to him. Do you long to grow in, in prayer? It'd be very easy for a sermon on prayer like this to turn into a, a guilt trip. We all know that we fall short in this area. I know that. I need this as much as you do. James isn't wanting to lay on us this morning uh, the guilt that we often come with. James is longing to put before us the opportunity and the privilege of praying. The other thing to say as we come to this passage, it would be very easy to get caught up in the questions that we have about prayer as we come to this. You know, questions like, does God hear? Does it change anything? What about unanswered prayers? What if I'd prayed more in that situation? We all look back on situations like that. And there are other parts of the Bible that engage with those questions. But the main aim of this passage is very simply that we would just pray. That we pray because we know the need that prayer is a lifeline and a gift from God. And this is really a summary, as chapter 4 and 5 has called us to gospel humility. The expression of humility in this passage at the end of the book is that we would just pray. When I say just pray, I don't mean that, that there aren't actions that we should take alongside prayer. Nehemiah in the Old Testament, he prayed and he acted. He prayed and he built the wall. He prayed and he set a a guard. But you and I, I suspect, are much better at the pragmatics and the doing and less good at the praying. And so James, if you like, is weighting this sermon towards just pray. So whatever else you hear as you go out this morning, just pray. And he starts in verse 13 with, in every circumstance, just pray. Let me read verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. We'll cover this first point fairly quickly. If you're suffering, pray. We've heard in chapter 1 that that includes various kinds of suffering. In chapter 5, it's the suffering at the hands of the rich. We've been told to be patient, to be steadfast, to to just pray. Now, when life becomes harder, I I suspect that we more naturally do pray. don't know how you find it, but in hard times, it comes more naturally. C.S. Lewis said that, um, that suffering is like a megaphone that wakes us up, and that's often the case. But praising when we're cheerful, I suspect, is less natural to us. Because when things are going well, you and I tend to pray less. We, we somehow don't think that we need to. And so I would guess that the 20th century in the UK is one of the hardest places to learn how to pray. Because suffering is Diminished compared to a lot of places in the world, and you and I have so much. I suspect also that we have a a sort of a weak category of prayer where we think that prayer is only asking for things. That's the sort of category, asking for things. That's prayer. 
And so when life is good, it seems like we have all that we need. There's no need to ask for anything, and so there's no need to pray. But actually, the Bible's category of prayer is wider than just asking for stuff. There's, there's prayer that is intercessory prayer. That's a category of prayer which is asking for stuff. But we're going to run a summer series over the next uh, couple of months that includes the range of prayers that there are. Petition, confession, lament, praise. All of these are forms of talking to God, of, of praying in suffering and in cheerfulness. And so like children with their parents, we're encouraged to come messy. Someone's put it that way. Just like ch- children don't clean, clean themselves up before they ask. They just, they just come as they are. They just come messy to their, their parents. And that's what we're encouraged to do here. In every circumstance, when we're cheerful, when we're suffering, we just come as we are. So think about it. Life, uh, when life is good, you and I don't stop having conversations with our friends or a parent or a spouse just because we don't need anything. We don't stop having conversations with people. No, when we're cheerful, we say things like, that was a delicious pizza or what a lovely day. When we're cheerful, we just keep speaking. And James is saying, in your cheerfulness, turn that into praise to God, the source of all goodness. Express gratitude to him and before others. In other words, in every circumstance, just pray. He covers at the one end suffering, at the other end cheerfulness, and everything in between. Because life is varied. And so prayer is to be the constant in all of that. The constant conversation that is woven into life Woven into life is this conversation with our Father in the good and the bad. And so James is longing that it would be more natural for you and I than it probably is to just pause and pray. To pray about something just in the middle of a conversation with someone or in the middle of our day just to say, can we just pause and pray about that? We've shared something cheerful. Should we just pause and thank God for that? We've shared something hard that's coming up in the week ahead. Should we just pause and pray about that? And I find that hard to do on my own. But it's wonderful that God gives us each other to pause and pray. So there's the first thing. In every circumstance, just pray. Just pray. Here's the second thing, and we'll spend longer on this one. In sickness and sin, just pray. In sickness and sin, just pray. Or more specifically, just get someone else to pray. That's what we're going to be told in these verses. Just call others, specifically the elders, to do that. So verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders and the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. That's a tricky passage. There's lots at stake in one sense in a passage like this. I want to be careful. I can't say everything. And so do ask after if you want to clarify things with me or ask one another, talk over coffee. What did you make of that? I wasn't clear on that bit. Pray about it. But three quick things that might help break this little section down. What's happening? What should we do? What should we expect? First of all, what's happening? This passage comes in, a con- in the context 
of the book of James. So I don't think it's just suddenly James is writing his letter and he thinks, oh gosh, why don't I just sort of bung some stuff in on, on prayer and healing? No one's writing much about that at the moment. I just you know, make my own contribution on that. Now the, the issue of the letter, the issue of the letter is spiritual drift or double-mindedness, spiritual adultery. We, we've seen that in the letter. The call is to wholehearted faith. And so James is addressing sickness, first of all, in that context. And I think that explains the odd mix of words that we get in these verses that combine spiritual and physical language. So let's have a look at verse 15. The the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Now save in the book so far, we've had it in chapter 1 verse 21. We get at the end in chapter 5, verse 20. And in those cases, save has the idea of eternal salvation. They'll be saved eternally. Now, I think we might have expected the prayer offered for the physically sick person will physically heal them. That might be what we'd expect in the verse. It doesn't say that. It says that the prayer offered will save the one who is sick. Do you see there's a mixing of the physical and the spiritual language. It's the same again in verse 16. Just have a look down in verse 16. Um, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So again, confess your sins, spiritual language. You'd expect a spiritual solution. You might expect confess your sins and you will be saved. Does that in the previous verse, doesn't do it here. He says instead that you may be healed. Talking about physical healing there. So on the one hand, this isn't just spiritual. I don't think you can just eradicate the physical and say this is just spiritual. There are more natural ways for James to express that. So I don't think we can rule out that he's thinking of the the physical, even the miraculous. But it is more than physical. So the question is, what's going on? And I've been asking myself a lot that uh, this, uh, this week. Some comments at the start. In the Bible, it's true to say that we all experience sickness as a general result of the fallen world that we live in. Not generally because of specific sin. Jesus warns against a tight connection between those in John chapter 9. And yet there are times when the Bible does connect specific sin and sickness in 1 Corinthians 11 when he's writing to the church there. And it may be that the churches that James are writing to are in that situation, that there is huge collective double-mindedness as a church. And so James is saying in, in that context, it may, it may, not must, it may be the result of specific patterns of sin that have led to spiritual discipline. He's saying at least that's a question that is worth Asking. Now I'm aware, even as I say that in, in a room like this, that there'll be some with, with a tender conscience who are assuming that's me, my, my sickness, it must be because of my sin. And, and probably those people shouldn't be thinking that. Then there are others with a thicker skin, it's never crossed your mind. And maybe James is saying, it's a question worth asking. And so I think it looks like this, that Here is a situation where the elders are being called. Things sound quite serious for that to be happening. 
Um, pr- presumably, they're calling someone to them because things are serious. Maybe they're in bed in our, in our culture. Maybe they've been hospitalized. It's something long, long-term for them to be calling on them in that way. So it's not that, that every sneeze or cold that a Christian has is sort of get on the phone. Can the elders bring the grapes? Can the elders bring the oil? They're going to be very, very busy if, if that's the case. I don't think that's quite what's going on here. But, but it, is anyone among you sick? would be sensible to you know, be in touch with the medical profession as well. This doesn't rule that out. We should take our medication. They're, they're, they're a gift from, from God. But what if it's more than that? What if we're physically struck down in a serious way and spiritually we're just on our last legs? The, the steadfastness that James has written of, it's, it's gone. We're shot through. We feel too far from God to keep going. We find it too hard to even begin to pray about the situation on our own. We are in a bad way. That, I think, is what's happening. Secondly, here's what to do. Here's what to do. Verse 14. Call the elders of the church to come. You're not on your own, James says. They can come. They can pray. Call the elders because they represent uh, the church in our setting. Again, I don't think that has to be all of them or specific ones or you know, both of the wardens or all of the PCC or, or those sorts of things. It might include small group leaders, for example. And I guess that makes sense. If you're feeling grotty and weak and you're lying in your, you know, your bed, you probably don't want the entire PCC sort of landing at the foot of your, your hospital bed just to see how you are. So you know, there's going to be wisdom in how you, how you apply this. We want those that we feel comfortable uh, with, but you see, this is a specific um, situation that's going on. This passage isn't commenting on the gift of healing or or healing rallies or Roman Catholic sort of extreme unction by a priest. No, no. Call the elders of your local church, people that you know that you have a relationship with, and let them pray with you over you presumably for spiritual and physical issues because you and I are whole people. And I think this is a good model for us in how we pray together and from the front for those who are struggling. It's right to pray for for healing, but not just for healing, for people to be raised up in all of life, for all of God's purposes to be fulfilled in a season of suffering. And we're to pray, the elders are to pray, prayers of faith. Just something on that little phrase, prayers of faith. Notice the prayer of faith is from the elders, I think not from the sick person. I think that's to prevent the sick person from feeling pressure as if they didn't have enough faith. That would be an unhelpful suggestion. And notice as well that the invitation comes from the sick person. So the invitation is not suggested or imposed by those from outside. Again, that's very important. That prevents the sick person from feeling pressure that they have to say yes. There may be very good reasons why for emotional or whatever things, they they don't want to go there. Or they've been there before and it was hard. So the pressure is not to come from the outside. It's an invitation from the person if they should want to. 
And just by the way, I think it would be odd if I didn't sort of comment on this personally. It won't surprise you to know that I've thought about this a bit myself in the area of disability. I've experienced the, the good and the bad of, of this. Not, not here, I hasten to add. You've been a great blessing in that. But many others in the room will have thought about this or experienced that. Other little things here, verse 14, anoint with oil in the Old Testament. That was a sign of empowering, the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. We're not told what sort of oil. We're not told it's special oil. I mean, virgin oil from olive oil from Waitrose, why not? That's fine. Probably not, probably not engine oil. That's going to be a little bit um, grubby. Um, verse 15b, we're then told, if there's been sin, again, if, 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 not expectation with sickness, if, There is forgiveness. And so knowing that, verse 16, here's the thing to do. Confess your sins. You all, that's a plural there. You all confess your sins to one another. Again, not to a priest, to one another. Again, I don't think that this is necessarily to the elders in the meeting. That would probably stop anyone inviting the elders to come around if that's going to be the expectation. It's just as likely that this happens before the meeting. We repent of sin to those that we've sinned against. We ask them for forgiveness. Private sin needs private repentance. Public sin, sin in office even, requires public repentance. It's just normal in church family life that we do that. I wonder when we last said sorry to a brother or sister. We noticed that the Lord's Supper was coming up. That's a good time to do it. And we approach someone. And I wonder if we're people who are approachable on that, quick to forgive. Now, where repentance has happened, and that's important, where repentance has happened, it looks like the elders are reassuring of forgiveness for the sick person. So that's uh, what's happening. That's uh, uh, thirdly, what to expect. So we've had what's happening, what to do. Thirdly, what to expect. Well, it's a physical, spiritual problem. So I think we expect a physical, spiritual solution. So James says we should expect lots of things, a range of things. Verse 15, he speaks in the language of the Lord will raise up the sick person. Maybe that's a lifting of the spirits just in a period of darkness. Maybe that's a lifting out of the sickbed and they're given more time in this world. James says we can expect the sick to know forgiveness, to experience maybe calm and comfort by being reassured that they're forgiven. Philippians speaks of the peace that passes understanding. Verse 16, expect, says James, that you all, again plural, will will be healed. Maybe that's a mending of broken relationships. Um, Maybe those are healed through forgiveness. Uh, Even... Physical healing. Again, maybe through ongoing treatment and medication that the Lord uses. Maybe miraculous healing then or later. And so I want to think about that that for a minute. The the, the question of miraculous healing here. A couple of caveats and then I want to hear the full force of this passage. So more widely, the, the Bible, God, doesn't promise miraculous healing in a way that you and I should claim it and in a way that if he doesn't give it, he has somehow broken his part of the deal. The Bible doesn't suggest that that's how we should approach it. Remember, this is the specific context of physical and spiritual problem, physical and spiritual solution. 
And one day, if Jesus doesn't come back first, you and I won't be healed. You and I will die. And there's no cast iron promise to claim at that point. And so the Bible generally doesn't say that you and I should approach it as if there is miraculous healing to claim. And some of us may have experienced great disillusionment about that because someone said that God had promised and it didn't happen. We may be here with the scars of that this morning. But even though he doesn't promise, the Bible would also want us to know that God is God. That God can, I believe does, heal wonderfully, miraculously. And so I don't want to blunt, even with careful caveats, the the force of this. James is saying that the sick can call and pray and that there may be all sorts of healing that may include supernatural healing from a supernatural God. I read a commentary this week by a man called Daniel uh, Doriani, uh, he's a, he would call himself a conservative Bible scholar. He's from a Presbyterian background in America. By his own admission, he would say, I'm not particularly open to the, the miraculous. As he was writing his commentary on, on James, a friend of his had a viral infection of the heart. Uh, he was very poorly. He was gray. He was lifeless. He was encouraged rightly to seek medical attention. It wasn't, you know, just pray and don't do that. No, no, that was absolutely right. But this friend of his read James 5, and he asked the elders, including Doriani, to to come along. And Doriani jokes at that point that uh, none of us had done this before, and so we did something very Presbyterian. We studied the matter for six weeks and hoped that he didn't die in the meantime. (laughs) On the night that they met... Uh, they prayed around the room and it was Doriani's turn to pray. And he said as he prayed, his arms were like burning bolts of fire. Never had it before or since. He felt his arms were strong enough that he could have lifted the man up to the ceiling. His hands were full of heat. Never before or since had he had it in the same way. But he prayed and he felt that God was that we should start praying, not that this friend would be healed, but thank God that he had been healed. There was no immediate change at that point. He kept the matter to himself because he was unsure what to do with it. Four days later on the Sunday, he was amazed to see his friend walk into church smiling and to run up the stairs towards him and say, I'm not even out of breath. And Doriani said to the man, I I knew it on the night, but I wasn't sure. And the friend said, I knew it too. And Doriani says, since then, he's been called to pray with the elders again. And he has seen and experienced a range of things. Some immediate healing for something that was serious. Some gradual recovery under the care of the GP. Some spiritually healed and renewed in their faith. And some no obvious spiritual or physical benefit. I put that out there for us as a church, just to weigh, to, to pray about in our groups, with our Bibles open. This is a complex situation, section, and it meets us in complex scenarios and, 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 and questions and fears and, and regrets and all sorts of things. Let's talk about this. But whatever else we've heard in the last minute, in the last 10 minutes, James is saying, in sickness and sin, just pray. Whatever else you come out with from, 
It will not be a bad thing if in sickness and sin we pray. Whatever we're praying for, whatever sort of raising up we're expecting, just pray. And that is because, thirdly, let's come to the third thing now. That is because prayer changes things. I said that was the longest point, these next two. Let's just pick up the pace a bit as we read verse 16. And if someone's going out to get, get the children, this is, a, this is a good moment. So verse 16 to 18, let's uh, look at that. Therefore, um, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That word righteous does not mean sinless, which is good. It means we can pray. We're included in this. James has used that word in chapter 2, verse 24, to talk about all uh, Christians. Um, he's um, said that if we're declared right, we're friends with, with God. It's the same word. We know elsewhere in the Bible our sin can hinder our prayer. 1 Peter 3 says that sin can hinder prayer, maybe because it means we don't want to pray. But the basic point here, friends, is that you and I, Righteous, declared righteous, ordinary, humble Christians have in our hands in the gift of prayer extraordinary prayer because God is an extraordinary God. And he gives an example of Elijah, verse 17. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. He prayed and there was no rain and then he prayed and there was rain again. Now notice verse 17 doesn't say um, Elijah was a prophet with a direct line to God. His prayer was effective because he had an anointed style of prayer and a technique that couldn't fail and therefore you and I ordinary Christians shouldn't really bother because Elijah was a prophet. doesn't say that. He says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. When he prayed, God didn't answer him because he was a special prophet, he just answered him because he was a man. He was a man who prayed fervently for stuff and God answered his prayers. And so you and I are encouraged to pray. You and I are encouraged to pray big things. It's an encouragement and a challenge to pray big things to a big God. To pray big. God brings about prayer to bring about his purposes. Things actually happen, friends, as we pray. God brings about prayer to bring about... His purpose and so through our little prayers, our, our longer, extended, fervent prayers, our short, arrow prayers, God changes the world. God changes daily life. God changes immovable situations. God changes history. God changes people. God changes eternity. And so I wonder for you whether there's a situation in your life, a person in your life, you long for things to be changed. Well, James doesn't just give this as a random example because he's fed up with... Uh, uh, he doesn't just give this example because Elijah's a man who's fed up with the drizzle and, and wants the rain to stop. He could have chosen an example from Elijah where there was physical healing. He, he could have done that because there are examples where Elijah raised a widow's son. Instead, he chose one where there was spiritual adultery and wandering away from God. Elijah prayed for doubt on a people who are double-minded, and there was drought. He prayed for rain on a people, and uh, as people confessed their sin and returned, the rain came again. 
See, he's chosen an example that's bang on the themes of James. But our real choice to pray really makes a difference. And the particular encouragement that he has in mind is in the last point. The situation that he has in mind is one that closes the letter. He says prayer changes things and bringing a sinner back is worth it. Verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. You see how connected this passage is? Perhaps he has the person of verse 14 in mind. And the situation in verse 19 is, is a person who's wandered from the truth and a brother or a sister goes after them. Presumably it's not easy to do that. It's costly and so they need some encouragement in verse 20. They need to know that doing such a thing will save their soul from death and cover and prevent a multitude of sins. And it's strong language. He, he calls sin, sin. It won't be loving to that person if we don't do that. We just leave them in danger with sin uncovered. And so it's loving to go after them, to lovingly challenge as they repent, to restore them. And this is what it means, friends, to be a part of a church family, to say to one another, in effect, to put ourselves in a church family and say, if I wander off, please come after me. And so for those of us, if we're lovingly going after a wanderer, someone in our, our small group, someone we feel we've lost in COVID, keep going. Keep praying. And so the whole point of the passage is just pray. Just pray. Whatever else you remember, whatever situation you go out into this week, just pray. And so we come to the end of the book of James. I feel rather sad to come to the end of it. It's been good for us, I think. We'll have a chance on Tuesday to talk about it, to try and hold on to one thing that, that struck us on Tuesday and Wednesday, but afterwards over coffee just to talk about what things we're holding on to. It's a book that reveals genuine and fake faith, that calls for repentance and wholeheartedness. And I think this final verse is, in a sense, James trying to tell us what he's been doing all of the way through the letter. He's all of the way been through calling us back to wholehearted faith. Certainly, that's what his big brother Jesus did in his ministry. He was the chief shepherd who came, who saw us wandering people and came from heaven to earth to call us back. And if you're not yet trusting him, then know that Jesus came to save your soul from death, to cover your many sins with his precious blood. Let's pray. We pray, Father, that one expression of our humility before you would be that we would pray that whatever things we're going through at the moment, you would call us to pray in every situation, to pray trusting that you hear and that you answer. Please help us to trust you where that has been hard or there have been apparent unanswered prayers. We bring those to you now and ask that you would strengthen and help us as we carry that with you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.